okay, well, I'm going to cast counter spell. Oh yeah, well, I did it at seventh level. So, uh, you know, and it's like, you get to change the narrative a little bit to make your thing succeed. So. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. I'm Zach. I'm Zach. <laughs> hey, look, two Zachs. This is confusing. This is going to get confusing. We're going to have to specify last names here. <laughs> so, yeah, we do have Zach Goins on the show with us from Bite Size Gaming. Zach, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. It's always fun to have you on this show. Zach, is, as our listeners know, have been on the show. I think I think you are officially the person who's been on the show the most. Oh, my goodness. That's an honor. Thank you so much. <laughs> so we're, we brought Zach on because we're going to be talking about the 2D20 system from Modifius. This is something we kind of talked about last week, or we said we were going to talk about last week, but, but we got completely derailed by <laughs> Avatar. Which I want to mention to you guys that I did reach out to Magpie Games to see if we can get one of their writers for Avatar to come on the show. So that may be happening. Who knows? We'll see. But anyway, yeah, we got completely derailed by Avatar and did not get to discuss the 2D20 system. So today we will be talking about that. But before we do, let's just kind of start the show off like we always do. Nolan, playing anything lately? What's been fun in your life? I have, uh, I've been systematically picking up my old Xbox games on PC uh, through Dragon Age and Mass Effect and picked up Fallout. Um, just uh, kind of seeing how it looks on the new computer and all that kind of fun stuff. So I've sadly been waiting for the Mass Effect trilogy to go on sale. Um, so in doing so, I was like, you know what? I never gave Mass Effect Andromeda a chance. I heard it was really bad. Um, but I also know that I heard it was really bad because Commander Shepard wasn't in it. So I've been playing through that and enjoying it. I uh, saw that they're doing a relaunch of the Collector Special Edition of Skyrim for their 10-year anniversary, which I feel like that game is so still amazing with mods and stuff like that. So they kind of went through and they grabbed some of the best mods, uh, updated a few of the bugs and stuff like that, and they're going to put out another thing there. So I was like, oh, I think I might do that as well. Um, other than that, making the big Mythic Plus push in uh, World of Warcraft, and that's about it. Nice. That doesn't sound too bad. I've never never got into Mass Effect, so I have no idea if Andromeda was bad or not. So don't do it. <laughs> you, you would you would. Um, no, it's it's actually really good this far removed um, a few patches. They got really it was kind of in the awkward time where technology spaced ahead of what was capable. So they tried to push it. And then the uh, the face structure and the mouse structure got really weird. Um, and it it was like. I don't know. It was it was a, not too advanced, but not where it should have been. And so is that it was the, it was the uh, uh, your ugly teenage years where you still had a bowl cut type happening. And then we got better stuff later on. So that was that yeah. was kind of what happened there. But honestly, from a, a person who likes uh, Star Trek and that kind of stuff, you would probably enjoy Mass Effect just from that kind of uh, explorer space. It's not a first person shooter. It's kind of the older shoulder kind of thing. And so it's you like the genre. I think you would enjoy the game. And the story is so good of the original trilogy. So, well, perhaps when I find myself with more time, yeah. uh, yeah. I'll, I'll bring it to you at the senior center home. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Smiley, how about you? Anything fun in your world right now? The Tales of Arise demo came out, so I got to play that. It actually was kind of fun. Um, still playing Tales of Berseria because I don't know. 
really into anime games right now. <laughs> so I think I'm at the end, though. I think I can kind of get to the end and just kind of be done with it. Turn it on to the lowest difficulty setting and just be done. Um, That's fair. I don't. I didn't really like Skyrim that much. I think Bethesda's open world exploration games just aren't my jam. Um, I just bring it up because we will be talking about Bethesda games pretty soon. Yeah. Um, I, but I, was gonna say I, that, uh... I do think it. I think it's pretty crazy that in the last ten years. No one has made a game anywhere close to Skyrim. That it's, like I don't even know even if people, they haven't. <laughs> even they have. I don't know if people have even tried. Like I assume that like the amount of money and man hour and just labor rhymes it must take to make a game like that. But like I don't. No one's even come close. And I think you've seen people try and leapfrog each other. I felt like Skyrim and then Witcher 3 kind of set the examples of this is how you do open world. Skyrim was really awkward because I don't know that I've ever beaten the main story, but I've gotten so lost in the side quests and everything like that, that I have over 200 hours and I refuse to finish the game at this point because I'm like, well, then it's, you know, I know I can go back, but once you beat the game, the game's done, you know. It's done, yeah. So, yeah, I, I know we've gotten trailers for the next Elder Scrolls game, but I know a lot of people found a home with Elder Scrolls Online. They don't do that for it's a it's a living world rpg less than a role mmo hardcore rating sit in town and do nothing you know it's yeah. it's got housing and stuff and so that's really kind of taken over that world but <laughs> I, i'm not i'm gonna have to get into some anime games because uh i know that people really 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 enjoy like the persona series i guess it's just fantastic yeah. so <laughs> i mean do you do you have 300 hours Fair enough. That's those are the fun games. Persona 4 Golden is on Steam. You can probably pick it up for like 10 bucks now. It's pretty good. It's pretty fun. I'll see you guys next month. Yeah. <laughs> and Mr. Goins, how about you? Anything fun in your week? I got to really tackle a whole bunch of new RPGs over the last several weeks. So that's been really nice. A lot of little ones. Like this week I got to do You Awaken in a Strange Place, which is kind of just like a free form little light uh, light RPG. The Tiny D6 system, learned that one. And got to play a game of that, the Lady Blackbird, which is kind of like a one-shot RPG. Um, it's kind of it's built okay. around one single story. Um, so yeah, it's been really great to kind of invest myself in the in the really condensed versions of the uh, mm. tabletop genre. You know, I, I really just don't know where you guys find the time for all this stuff because <laughs> I feel like I never have time to sit down and play a game at all. It's like, well, I got 10 minutes. Now I got to go do this. <laughs> uh, it, it's those wee hours of the night when everyone else is doing the right thing and sleeping that that those of us rise and play RPGs. I guess. I guess. Because <laughs> I just... I don't know if I can cram any more into my day. <laughs> 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. is a very quiet time. That's right. Yeah, yeah except my job on a medical call. <laughs> yeah, my job allows me to get a lot of other things, leisure ways out of that's fair the way. Like I can kind of read a book or I can surf the Internet or watch something. And then when I come home, it's like, wow. You know, my I already job... did all of my leisure. <laughs> 
my job is such that I can't even get my own stuff done because I'm dealing with everybody else's stuff. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. So that's okay. That's okay. I'm absolutely not complaining. So I know one day my life will free up a little bit and I'll be able to start playing games again. Maybe we hope so. (laughs) So let's jump into the news so we can talk about this 2d 20 system. So let's start off with some Dungeons and Dragons news. Nothing new when it comes to products. But I did see on uh, the website Collider that the Dungeons and Dragons movie has finished filming. This is apparently announced by the co-director John Francis Daly on Twitter. This movie is set to be released of March uh, in March of 2023. I believe the date is actually March 3rd. Hmm. And of course, there's also a TV series in the works, but I wasn't able to find any news about this. We're going to start with you, uh, Mr. Goins. What are your thoughts on this D&D movie and this all-star cast that they seem to have hmm. in it? Uh, you know, I'm probably the the odd man out here. I, I see a lot of excitement around the idea that we don't know that there's going to be any uh, like classic characters in the thing, that they look like maybe they're creating their own story. Um, I have hopes for it. Like, I think we would all be feeling a little bit weird if they weren't spending a ton of money. And if we didn't have big names tied to it, those wouldn't necessarily be good signs. But also big names and a lot of money doesn't make a great movie. I, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more reliance on or or not even reliance, just excitement around bringing in some of the characters that the fans already love, you know, but. But as it is, I'm excited to, I mean, any any attention that D&D gets to a wider audience means that more people are coming to the hobby. So it's a win. That's fair. That's fair. How about you, Nolan? You know, I, I think I I am kind of on the fence of having the, uh, the known actor situation just from, I think, Lord of the Rings. Everybody was like, oh, okay, okay. You know, it's got Ian McKellen. It's, you know, and then you're like, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I know. Oh, okay. And then you see, you know. Elijah Wood, and you're like, oh man, he's from, oh no, you know, and 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 then so, <laughs> oh, and it's got Rudy, and you start to get, and then it just turns out to be fantastic. So I think it it just depends on the care that goes into it. I I like Chris Pine after Into the Woods. You know, I, I think there can be that kind of humor. He doesn't always have to be the action star. I think he's done a really wonderful job in the Wonder Woman stuff of being a good character and not. So I I don't think it's one of those things of like. When you go see a Jason Statham movie, you know what you're going to get. You know, mm-hmm. I think we we saw his, you know, his, his transporter in the fantasy world when he did that thing in the name of the king or whatever that was. So mm-hmm. I, I think you don't know what to expect with this. I'm pretty excited. I like the John Francis Daly is fantastic writer. Just he did Spider-Man Homecoming and I thought that was mm-hmm. great. <laughs> Worked right. Uh, horrible bosses, which is hysterical. So I'm, I, you know, as a couple of movies where I'm curious to see the sense of humor. So if it's following right now, I'm just waiting for it to be a, a rogue and a bard and kind of a commie skit, you know, like, cause an introduction into the world. So I, until you see a trailer, it's hard to say, you know, if they try and take it too seriously, I think you'll lose people because of, oh, that's not how D&D is. But if they have fun with it and has some humor, I mean, we saw Guardians of the Galaxy, right? It was such a fantastic D&D campaign <laughs> in space. And so I'm that's kind of what I'm hopeful for. But I don't know. It, it's going to be great. We'll go see it. And then we'll all whine about it like we did uh, World of Warcraft. Yeah. So <laughs> now World of Warcraft deserves oh, to be whined about it. Oh, oh that, that hit. That hit a really soft spot that I had forgotten about. <laughs> I really wanted to like that movie. <laughs> Me too. I mean, there's there was definitely parts of it that I liked. 
uh, just like in general like i actually really liked the way the orcs looked i thought they were just kind of cool but but by the same token there was so much of that movie that i was just like oh my god the world yeah. they got right i don't know what story they were playing but the world looked cool like when <laughs> the griffins are flying over storm one i was like yeah and then they acted and i was like no no and i like travis Fimmel. like i love the show vikings i think he is such an amazing actor but yeah no <laughs> anyway zach how about you what are your thoughts on this D D movie i've seen in the name of the king a dungeon siege story so i'm gonna <laughs> hold off judgment until the movie comes out what about you patrick no i'm cautiously optimistic which is my favorite i think so I, i've noticed we have some like some favorite terms here mine's cautiously cautiously optimistic zach yours is my hot take and nolan is handled with care so <laughs> these are things i think we say in every episode so yeah. i am cautiously optimistic about this movie obviously i want it to be really good right you want to be able to watch that epic fantasy movie and just thoroughly enjoy it like i know personally this week for whatever reason the Lord of the Rings trilogy has been on repeat in my house. Usually I only watch about 45 minutes of it because I know the rest of the movie and I fall asleep or I'm just doing other things and it's playing in the background. But that's the kind of movie I want, right? I want another, yeah. I want another movie like that, that it's such an epic movie that when you sit down and watch it, you're like, I want to do it again right now. Just, just start it back over. Cause I want to watch it again right now. Cause that was so amazing. Hmm. I, I uh, get that. <laughs> I, I, I sit down and watch it, and once it gets to the final disc, I don't finish it because once you finish it, it's over. Like I'm at that <laughs> point, like ah, I know what's happening. I don't need that kind of tears in my life, so I just go finish it and I start over. So that's mm. awesome. That's awesome. Well, that is all the news I found for D and D this week. Did, does anybody know anything else that's going on with D and D or Wizards of the Coast? It's a pretty quiet time right now. Pretty quiet time. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's pop over to Onyx Path. Uh, so. In their Monday meeting notes, Rich Thomas, who is, of course, the head of Onyx Path, talked about shipping woes tied to Kickstarters. And these are specifically Kickstarters that are being produced in, in China. Thomas said that while he has moved away from using Chinese manufacturers for Onyx Path projects, it doesn't mean that Onyx Path is unaffected. He said that the raw goods needed to are needed by their current printers, the ink, the paper, things like that, are in short order. So as a result, books that they've already sent to printer, like Deviant, Technocracy Reloaded, Mummy the Cursed, are now where they should have been printed now are looking at a January 2022 print time, which is absolutely insane. So I thought this is, and of course, the other issue is reduced staff as they, you know, the Delta variant, and they're trying to make sure that nobody gets sick, so on and so forth. So Nolan, I was curious, with you being in the automotive industry and you seeing similar things like this, what are your thoughts on this? I'm, you know, I, I think it affects so much more than people give it credit for. Just from a standpoint of, I know, you know, automotive, uh, we can't get chips, uh, safety packages are going away. We're starting to see shortage on rubbers and plastics in our area. So tires are starting to get more expensive. You know, it's just those little things that it's like, that's good to know. So many, know. yeah, you'll start to see prices on tires go up uh, pretty quickly here. Um, but that little piece of rubber that they use in it, they also use in the hood of cars. And so now all of a sudden we can't get hoods for vehicles, you know, and it's like those little things can continue. You don't realize how many pieces are in the chain. And sometimes it's, you know, uh, you know, 
paper might be completely fine, but at the same time, it's, you know, maybe it's a ream that comes out of some place that causes, you know, and it, it causes the whole thing to fault. If you think about the, about the chip, it's just a one little chip shuts down the entire plant for months across the board. So I, I'm curious to see, and I think this will be the going forward thing of, I, we don't see any relief in sight. This isn't going to just magically appear to get better. The process of like opening up a plant and stuff like that is super expensive, but I know people are trying to work for alternative ways of getting through this. And I'm curious to see if that's where, you know, if there's going to be something that comes out of this quickly of saying, Hey, this is a real need or people are like, this isn't a real need and it's not worth it. And we're just going to not print anything for three, four months because plants right now are like, well, we don't have enough chips. So, uh, take the month off. And I don't know, it's, it's wild. It's interesting, but I also know like they're actively trying to find ways around this. And I'm curious to see if it's cost effective. I know it is fair when you're selling. $50,000, $60,000 vehicles, you know, obviously there's some profit in there. I don't know if that's the same thing when it comes to a $26 print-on-demand type book. So, Well, and I, I do find it interesting that like my youngest son, who is a purveyor of RPG books, he has been buying like crazy through drive through RPG. He's been buying a lot of print-on-demand stuff, even with their price hike. And his shit mm. is just rolling in. I mean, I swear this week that kid has probably got like nine new books which he's all kinds of excited about. Uh, and, and I'm just surprised because it's coming in fairly quick. So we yet again, this is one of those situations where just like um, uh, a cult of the blood gods, where I'm going to get a POD coupon for backing these books and I'll get the print on demand version before I get the version that I backed. If mm -hmm. I went ahead and purchase it, I'm not going to, because I'm going to wait for my book and I don't feel like spending an additional you know, $45, $50 to get the book that I've already paid twice. $45, yep. $50. Right. So, so yeah, that's the, some of my thoughts on this. Uh, Zach Smiley, let's talk to you because you, you work in the library. Are you seeing any new books being delayed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was also this crazy combination of one, you had supply lines hit by COVID. And then there, that's, this is a, this is specific to me, but we order out of a, a, a supply depot in Tennessee. And when Texas got hit, um, by that snowstorm that knocked all their power out, Tennessee got hit by that same storm. And so I had a book that I ordered in February for a patron, and I got it like three days ago. Oh, wow. It's just, uh, it was just this weird thing where it just took that long, you know? And then a book gets lost, and it gets shipped into a different place, and then this container needs to go up here so it can be cost-effective to pick up more stuff. And then things get lost in processing, and it takes a while to put a book, to print those books, then to put them into the depot. I mean, that is specific to, you know, our sure. library, like a weird little situation. But that's got to be happening to all kinds of people, too. Yeah. Like, I can't, like, you don't think about all the little things that go into it. But what happens when Idaho can't get those potatoes to a place where they are turned into French fries? You know, and then those French fries can't get to McDonald's. And like that is kind of we're seeing how interconnected our world really is. Mm -hmm. It's not just that you grow plants and then you take them to market every three days. It's it's not mm -hmm. the world we live in anymore. Right. It's just right. I went through Wendy's the other day with my kids and they had zero ketchup in the entire store. 
<laughs> I was like, this is a brand new world. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that, Zach, because I was just reading literally before we went live, I was reading an article that Taco Bell is struggling to get napkins and hot sauces yeah. and things like that. So apparently yeah. Wendy's is struggling to get ketchup. <laughs> yep. Yep. I went through Sonic. I, it sounds like a, <laughs> that this sounds, this paints me as a certain type of person. I went through <laughs> Sonic the other day too. And uh, they had swapped out their straws for a very, obviously cheaper straw like they went to they had to go to something that was not their brand straw and i was like that mm. okay yep this is another evidence of supply yeah. chains kind of getting rattled yeah supply chains are completely messed up and you know zach you were talking about books being shipped to different locations and it made me think i recently so indie press Re revolution handles the selling of onyx pass deluxe books after they've come off a of kickstarter uh they they get a x amount of books to sell on their website and they're usually fairly expensive to 250 somewhere around there mm -hmm. uh in fact i think i've shown nolan and zach both aiden's copy of the vampire masquerade uh, dark ages 20th anniversary edition deluxe that is absolutely yeah. stunning well they always do a sale in the fall and I decided this year that I was going to pick up a deluxe edition. So I bought the Wraith 20th anniversary edition deluxe and mm. I received this the other day. I get a notification that it shipped and I was like, oh, great, cool. And then I get notification that it was delivered. So I ran out to the mailbox and there was nothing there. Well, I check my delivery and it's in Sarasota, Florida. Mm. So then I go and check my order to make sure I didn't put in some weird address. And no, everything's correct. I email Indie Press Revolution and they're like, yeah, sorry, you got the wrong the wrong number here's yours well it's been sitting in la for like seven days and it's yeah. just not moving so it went from like right around the vegas area to la and has just sat there um, so i don't know if that's covid related i don't know if that's just issue mm -hmm. with shipping or what but it just seems it, to it's a combination it wasn't yeah it was not cost effective to send that from las vegas to denver Right. So they took it to L.A. where it will be put with put with books where it finally will be cost effective right. to ship a container forward. Yeah, no. And, and I and that's exactly it. You, whereas my wife and I had to order a new bed. So we ordered a bed on Sunday. It was here Wednesday. Yeah. And we're like, well, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> we figured it <laughs> yeah. was going to be at least a month. But no, it was a couple days. Um, so, yeah, it's shipping is weird right now. I want to talk to you, Mr. Goins, about. You're someone who produces Kickstarters, uh, uh -huh. and I'm curious, has this affected you guys at all? Not really, but I, I'll be, I'll be honest, like the number of super large Kickstarters that we would have gone to China for are very small. And so we haven't seen a lot that way. I did, I did speak with a larger company just this week and they were talking to me about similar issues with their manufacturing. So I know it's hitting everyone, you know, a lot of our uh, production is done domestically and we're seeing no shortages yet. Uh, maybe a little bit longer lead times by a few days. And I know some of the talks that we've had with uh, production uh, companies out of Canada have talked about, you know, uh, several week delay. And, and in some cases it's, well, we're out of this type of paper. So as long as you don't want that type of paper, we can help you. But um, so I think my guess would be for a company like Onyx Path that has a consistency of a certain type of quality, a certain feel, a certain look, they kind of have a very narrow window of what they can print. That's not going to affect me as much right now. But 
it I, I mean the industry is rough in general right now so i i definitely still feel it yeah i was kind of wondering about that onyx path did say that they're going to be working harder to deliver the digital assets to people a little bit quicker i i did uh recently get the the pdf for deviant which i don't think i expected it to be this soon so that was kind of nice. I haven't had a chance to look through it yet, but it has been delivered. So that I guess that's a good thing. Although for me, someone who like I backed the Technocracy Reloaded book where I was going to get the deluxe edition, I'm really excited to get that book. And the PDF just doesn't do it any justice. As much as I like PDFs, I'm not complaining about PDFs at all. It just does. It's not a deluxe copy of a book, right? <laughs> so you ordered so, it for a reason. Exactly. Exactly. I wanted to talk real quick about the Innie Awards. That's E-N-N-I-E. Um, with Gen Con coming up, of course, the Innie Awards are out and about, and voting is underway for this year's nominations. Uh, there's there's a couple of uh, games that we've talked about on our show that have been nominated, and I wanted to just kind of highlight those and congratulate the, those games real quick. The first is Altered Carbon, which we did have uh, the folks from Altered Carbon come on and talk to us about that game in particular. That is being nominated for the Judges Spotlight Award, which I thought was really cool. And then Vessen, which we haven't talked a whole lot about, but we at least mentioned as it's a free league game, was nominated for Best Cover Art, Best Interior Art. And I and Nolan, you've talked quite a bit about the artwork of that book. And then it was also nominated for Best Monster Slash Adversary, which I thought was really interesting. Those You can check out all the nominees. I do have a link in the show notes if you want to check those out. Congratulations to everybody who has been nominated for an any award this year. Yeah, it's definitely cool to see uh, a couple of the free league stuff up there. The yep. Alien RPG was yeah. in a couple of good spots for cartography and, and game. Um, they, yeah, I really, really, really uh, enjoy their work so far. Uh, yep. I've been impressed with them. Um, and maybe it's last person to the table type situation or whatever. But if you haven't looked at their stuff, it is again, I would, I would buy their art book in a heartbeat. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was really excited to see a couple others on there. I, I, there's a soft spot in my heart for Peterson games and, um, they had a planet apocalypse on there for best writing. Mm -hmm. At least I think I thought mm -hmm. that was great. And then, um, I think the one that would have had a sweep if they had gotten their book out this year, which was kind of their plan, was uh, Brand Colonia. Um, oh, oh, man, that's a spaghetti fantasy, like Italian fantasy for 5e. That is a gorgeous book that went through Kickstarter. Just, it'll blow your mind how amazing it looks. Um, nice. They... They've done another Kickstarter since, uh, I think, or at least most of the same team. And they did like a Dante's Inferno uh, okay. product. But those two books, I think, are pieces of art. And I'm really excited. I mean, they, I think there's like six nominations for it in there. And it, I have the PDF. I have the book on its way. <laughs> and it deserves all of the nominations. So That's great. I, you know, I love looking at the Indie Awards and seeing what's been nominated because typically there's some games that I've never heard of. I know Alice is Missing from Renegade Studios is one of the nominations. And of course, Renegades is the company that's doing that is in charge of Vampire the Masquerade now, did uh, Ultra Carbon, you know, all that stuff. So or I'm sorry, that's Hunter's Entertainment, which they're they're tied together. So <laughs> so you're seeing a lot of that, those these smaller companies, you know, getting these nominations and, and putting out some really cool products. And there's as we say all the time, there's so many games and just not enough time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there is a link in the show notes if you want to check out all the nominees this year. 
there's some pretty cool stuff being nominated. So I want to jump to Modifius because this will definitely help us segue into our topic. Uh, and, and that is um, there. The first supplement for Dune Adventures has been announced. It's called Sand and Dust. Uh, and I just wanted to kind of go over what this book includes. It's called Sand and Dust, the Arrakis Sourcebook. It can, it's a 156-page book that is an overview of the planet Arrakis known as Dune. Its history and features. Detail on the mysterious desert. Is it pronounced Freeman or Fremen? Fremen. Yeah. Fremen. Okay. Uh, and their many secrets. A host of new options for Fremen player characters, including new archetypes, talents, and rules for riding the great sandworms. That's something I will never forget. I've, I haven't watched Dune in like forever, but I will never forget the sandworms. An in-depth look at spice harvesting and those who try to smuggle and stockpile it in secret. Uh, the secrets of spice revealed, including new spice-related talents and abilities. A gazetteer of cities of uh, Carthag. Is that correct? Okay. Arakeen, uh, including their layout, noteworthy landmarks, and what life is like for the people of each city. And it just kind of goes on from there. So this is another one of those where uh, Modifius is saying that a digital copy will be provided. Uh, Modifius has been doing, because I've bought a couple of their books, they have been doing pre-advances of, of the PDF, like putting them out for editing suggestions. And I don't know if it's because of some issues that they've had in the past or, or what, but so you will get that. Just keep in mind that if you are pre-ordering this book, you'll get the pre-PDF that is designed to make edit suggestions, and then you'll get a finalized PDF. And I do believe the book is scheduled to ship first part of 2022. So if you are into that book or into that game, I should say, there is a source book coming. And this is a great segue because... We are going to be talking about the 2D20 system now. And specifically, Mr. Goins, you are going to be running a Dune, a Dune game soon. Yeah. And I thought that's actually one of the reasons why I thought it'd be great to have you on the show. And I know, Zach, you've been looking at this system for a little bit now. This has been kind of your idea to talk about this on the show. So I assume Nolan and I probably know the least about this system. <laughs> so, Zach, I'm going to turn it over to you and... You and Zach, the two Zachs, are going to discuss the system for us. So, okay. Zach Smiley, we'll start with you. I guess I'll clarify, like, where I'm coming from from this. Because, like, we haven't actually played this game. I'm interested in some of the, like, some of the franchises that they've gone well, with. And I, and I guess before we go too far, let's let's just specify real quick. The 2D20 system is, is if I'm not mistaken, you guys can correct me, is exclusively Modifius games. At least right I believe, now. I believe so, yeah. Um, yeah. And games that you will find that use the 2D20 system is, of course, Dune, Dishonored, Octon Cthulhu, Conan, John Carter of Mars. Dishon or I think I said Dishonored. So anything, and I think even All Fallout. Out. Yep. All Out, yep. All Out. So it's pretty much anything that Modifius is putting out uses the 2D20 system. Yep. So, yeah. okay, and, making sure I was correct there. And that And that's kind of what, like, caught my attention. Because again, like my interest is pretty academic, but I I had read, you know, I went through John Carter of Mars like a while ago and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. But then I just like filed it away in my brain and I hadn't really cared at all until they announced Homeworld. Because that like that is the one that came out of nowhere that I thought was just incredibly strange. And then starting to look through and it's like, well, it's also Dune and Fallout and Dishonored and John Carter and Octon Cthulhu, and now they're going to, like, take a real-time 
three-dimensional strategy game from the 90s and turn it into a tabletop RPG game. And so I was like, none of these are similar. And I was like, why are they doing that? And I think what my conclusion is that they found a system that will work and they're just going to buy as many franchises as they possibly can and weld them together. And I, that's my hypothesis, I guess. And so I'd like to ask Zach if he thinks that's what's going on or... Do you think that they're just like, yeah, the system's great and everything should use it? Um, I think I think that they definitely have found their niche in grabbing known IPs and bringing them into different mediums or or bringing them into the modern version of those mediums. And they are selling 2D20 as a flexible system, right? I think that's the biggest thing that the biggest takeaway uh, for as far as like a start off, like if you learn the 2D20 system in John Carter, that does not mean that you actually know how to play Dune. You have a good foundation for Dune, but it's, they're very loose with the idea of how their system works, the core rules and all of that, and they will revise it with every new IP that comes along, right? So um, I know, Zach, you have been messing with uh, uh, Star Trek. I'm messing with Dune. We could probably have a con- sit down and I could play Star Trek and not be completely lost. You could come play Dune. But there's probably a time when you're going to pick up the dice and expect it to work one way. I'm going to say, oh, well, they changed that for Dune and now it works this way. Gotcha. I, I, yeah, it's, it seemed really, I don't know, strange. I don't, I'm not trying to be cynical. It just seemed like kind of a cynical move. Or maybe I'm just expecting cynical moves from corporations at this point. And I was like. I just didn't want this hobby to have something so soulless. Well, I think if you look at the games that they are picking up, they, while very different, follow the same theme. Uh, they are, you know, they're very much this story-based, almost single-player, open-world RPG. So I think as you look at that kind of stuff with it being that style, um, maybe that is something where it, the narrative story play makes so much more sense for it. Um, at least, you know, Elder Scrolls, Fallout, very same vein. Dishonored, very same vein. John Carter, throw a dude in the middle of Mars, go have an adventure. Conan, throw a dude in the middle of Hyporia, go have an adventure. You know, so it seems like that kind of, I don't know, it, it seems yeah. to have a theme, like in a weird way, they're connected to that kind of single player story element. And maybe that's what they're after, or maybe that's just what's available, because they are also kind of the... I, well, I guess you can't even call them off mainstream. Elder Scrolls, Fallout are all are very big, but maybe not in this genre. So maybe it's just a natural conversion for this narrative storytelling style. Yeah, yeah. It, the odd people, the odd uh, IPs out in this, I think, are Dune and Star Trek. Everything else yeah. feels very pulpy, actiony, and and the 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 system uses a momentum mechanic, right, to really allow you to build towards big moment which makes perfect sense in something like conan right when like you wanna you want to be able to do that incredible thing that only conan could do at the end right um at the climax of your adventures Uh, i think there are aspects of it that i thought were going to be really weird for dune Mm -hmm. right like why do we need momentum in dune dune is a very like dramatic but from a like a um a social aspect uh sort of a game so why do we need a momentum uh i think i think some of that i'm starting to figure out but they definitely do have a different feel and aren't a perfect fit at just at face value i know that that's something that it kind of felt like an interesting take you know when you're you know 
me and Zach roll into a place and we're accused of murder or something like that. And I'm going to have you roll for initiative to see who speaks first. And then now we're having this weird combat and roll persuasion checks and and that kind of stuff. I, I could see that that's what I got out of doing. It's like, oh, we're having the the amount of times that I've gone back and reread lines to try and figure out how slight the insults are and that kind of stuff. I could see that momentum building where it's like, you know, a mic drop at the end. Like, yeah. Oh man, your family's never going to recover from that sick burn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So exactly how does it work though? Like, like if we're going to go into combat, what, what kind of like, what do you roll to make initiative? I'll, I'll, I'll do it from the Dune perspective and maybe, Zach, sure. you can you can you can tell me what what's different um everything in dune uses d20s right like you're never going to pick up a different dice except maybe you're a super rare occasion once a campaign or something like that um and you're going to start out with 2d20 as your base and basically you're getting two chances with 2d20s each d20 that you roll is a different chance a different opportunity to succeed and you're searching for a certain number of successes. You know, the difficulty level of a given thing is maybe is set by the number of successes you need. So difficulty two, you need two successes on the number of D20s that you roll. Um, and extra successes you can pocket for later as momentum. That makes it easier to do things, right? And so uh, they allow you to grab more dice for your pool. And that's really fun. Um, and of course, there's a cap on your momentum system or on your momentum pool. So you got to use it or you're going to run out or you're gonna you know kind of hit your cap and be screwed um, and that's that's the core of it is the momentum for players and then the dm has the inverse of that which is called in dune threat mm -hmm. um and they earn threat in a multitude of ways but one of the ways that we can earn threat as a dm is the players can buy extra dice by giving the dm threat right that's the funnest mm -hmm. way um, so if you want to succeed in the moment, uh, if you want to have a better ch chance of succeeding in the moment, you can give the DM the ability to screw you over later, right? <laughs> and I, that's really fun, right? Like the idea that that brings something, well, something up in the players of like, we know something is coming because we are fueling <laughs> that. Um, so there's a lot of things that actually like build suspense in the system itself. So yeah, so, uh, go ahead. Zach. Speak. Speaking of momentum, because in a lot of online discourse, you can see that like the biggest complaint about the 2D20 system is its meta nature. Like the dice, like momentum is not like a thing in the world. It's not like gold or a spell slot or even an abstraction like health. Like the players can see how many dice they have in the bucket. Does that... Does yeah. that become an issue? Is that something that you're not really into, or does it just like not matter once you get into the game? I think it definitely has a meta aspect. I mean, the whole thing is very slow. When dice get picked up, it's not a fast thing because the DM is setting the difficulty, and then the players are grabbing their initial 2d20, and then they're bargaining in a way with the DM to get more dice, right? So they're saying, oh, I have this trait, and that trait, I would argue, would lower the difficulty or I want to spend momentum and I'm going to get an extra dice for my pool. And it's all this like finagling to where the, then the player gets to roll and then, Oh, I got extra successes. How am I going to spend those extra successes? Well, in part pocket, some of them as momentum and some of the others I'm going to use to obtain additional information about the scene. And then I'm going to create a trait with this other. And so a, one person's turn could be 
several minutes, right? And and the di- just gathering dice to determine what the actual challenge is going to be could be a couple minutes in itself. Um, at least that that's my assumption. So there is 100% a meta aspect, and none of that is... It does get in the way of role-playing, and I think that's the biggest thing. We've played a couple games of Dune now, and like once you start rolling dice, you have to accept the fact that you're you're moving away from being in the moment, and you're entering that meta nature. Okay. Like you just lean into it and then you're good or Yeah, I mean, really, really this there's simple dice mechanics for non-opposed things, right? Like a skill check in D&D, right? That's a really easy thing and there's a system like that in in this where like, oh, there's a, just a simple thing you want to make an observation, yeah, just roll your dice and you're good. It's very clear though that once it enters conflict, we're now a meta. Right? And in the world of Dune, and you tell me, Zach, if this is the same in Star Trek, but in the world of Dune, conflict isn't just combat. It's also intrigues. It's also espionage. Anything that pits you in a direct opposition against another is a conflict. And you're going to be rolling a lot more dice, and it becomes a lot more meta-y. Yeah, I think that's how it is in pretty much everything. Yeah. When we see that with... I think, you know, the moment that you talk about that, I think of like vampire, like yeah. I, it was like, it got to the point where it's like, please don't be combat. Like I, you know, you actively do everything you can not to have combat. Or if you do like, just, just end it as quickly as possible. Ambushes run away. You know, it was just one of those things. Cause it, it was so, I, I don't know for us, it was just a little so confusing uh, as far as okay, what do we do? Because it's so far away. It's so hit or miss. We're 5e. You know, it's like all you do is roll dice. So I, I imagine it gets better the more you do it. And as you play the character or whatever, you know, I think some of that stuff of like, you know, your character, well, how bad, you know, pride's on the line. How bad do you want to succeed? It's kind of a, now all of a sudden we're all playing warlock patrons and uh, <laughs> making deals with your DM. So I thought that stuff sounded pretty cool. Is, is, so I, I did, I did do some reading about the 2d20 system and something that keep, I keep coming back to, cause I've just confused. I don't know if this is a specific thing to mutant chronicles, which also uses the 2d20 system, dark symmetry. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's common in other games? That's, that's threat. It's all okay. just renamed, reflavored, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's just something I hadn't heard of before, so I figured I'd ask. Yeah, that's, but that's some of the... Con- okay, so here, here's the thing that I both love and hate is, is, is the idea that it does get reflavored and reprocessed for each one, right? So, Patrick, as, as you just said, you went and did some research, and you mm-hmm. probably read, tried, you know, Google 2D20 system rules. If you go on YouTube and you say, like, 2D20 how-to guide or whatever... You're going to get a lot of videos, and there are several videos, and most of those videos go like this. Well, here's how you play it in Mutant. Well, but if you're playing Star Trek, it's going to change this way. And if you're playing in what at Conan, you're going to have it. It's going to be called this thing. And that doesn't help anybody <laughs> to have three different systems being explained at the same time. So as much as I love that they're like, hey, obviously we can call this, we want to call this dark symmetry because that fits the world. It's like, great, that feels wonderful and that lets you do a fun thing. But it doesn't serve me, the new person, when I go online because there's no Dune how-to right now on YouTube. And I would have loved for a 2D20 system video to be applicable for me but i would say handle with care if that's if you're going online to figure out how to play a specific game yeah i think you're absolutely right it's one of these i think the 2d20 system is such that you need to sit down with somebody who knows the game that you're interested in 
Yes. And not not be like, well, I'm going to learn the 2D20 system because then you're going to get confused. Like I, I personally own a couple of the Star Trek books and I have several PDFs of other 2D20 games. And Star Trek is one of my favorite things. So I would love to learn how to play Star Trek Adventures. But I'd also would like to learn how to play Conan. <laughs> and then I'm like, uh, am I just going to confuse myself by trying to learn, you know, the blanket 2D20 system? Well, let me ask Zach this. Zach, in Dune, momentum is a shared pool of of up to six uh, with the whole party, right? Like the whole party shares six. And in Mutant, I think it's five, but it's five per character. Is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought it was just a general pool together. I don't, I think, I was again, I was watching one of those videos online. I'm not an expert on Mutant, but I was like, oh, that's very different. What's it like in Star Trek? I'm not sure about Star Trek. Dishonored was a, was a shared pool mm. where it's like you're supposed to be like spending stuff together. Mm. Um, I'm not sure about Star Trek. I didn't read too much of the book. Gotcha, gotcha. It, so. And it does look like that's something that's kind of across the board a little bit different. Conan has generated momentum and pool momentum for uh, immediate and regular spend. So it looks like there's an extra flavor there of in the moment versus a pooled one. So Yeah, it. Th I think that's the things that make it most tricky. I think you're right, Patrick. I think pick one, sit down with a person who knows it, huh. learn it that way. And then you'll have a really, really solid thing to adapt to the next one, right? Gotcha. Well, and I think we see that with, uh, you know, a few things too. It's like, you know, we, we know the 5e system. If you're sitting out, down to play Scarred Lands, you're going to run into a new set of things versus Forgotten Realms. Trying to play both at the same time, you could really get confused on the cross and the streams there. And same, same with this. If you're sitting down to play, you know, Dune and you're playing Fallout and you're playing Conan, it's like, I could see it. But if you played, you know, you play Dune for a year and then you go over like, oh, this is a little subtle change. Okay, cool. You know, you're not learning the whole right. thing at once. Yeah. Right. And that's one thing that we love about the 5e um, OGL, right? We yeah. love the fact that people can take that and put it into the game. That's why, what, Zach, you were excited about Runes of Symbrum because it's using the 5e yeah. rules, but there are changes. There mm -hmm. are, you know, where it says instead of this, it's now this. And you just have to try to figure that out. But I do think with, like, I've, I've read things that say that the 2d20 system is possibly the most difficult system to learn. Would you guys agree with that statement? Really? I uh, I don't know yet, but would you? Uh, well, I would say that it has the fewest touch points to something that you're probably already familiar with, right? So if you're if you're used to 5e and you pop over to some, uh, here's a close one-to-one, -one, but Pathfinder, you're going to be like, oh, I understand what's going on. And there's, you know, another game maybe like that uses a dice pool like Alien. There's a lot of touch points with other games in a game like that. So you're going to be comfy. Dune and the 2D20 uses its own, it has kind of its own way of doing things. And so I don't know that it's the most difficult. It's just that, um, except for the fact that you're not going to be sitting there looking at it and be like, oh, I understand it's like this. Oh, I understand it's like this. Yeah. Right. And, and that makes sense. Um, I am curious because we, we've talked, uh, you know, we kind of talked in general about the system. Zach, you mentioned making skill checks at Goins. You mentioned making skill checks. And obviously in D&D, in, in you know, we roll a D20. We, we know what our mm -hmm. numbers that we need to hit is and we add our pluses or minuses or whatever. How does it, how does the skill check work in the 2d20 system? Cause I read something about you actually had to add two skills together. <laughs> so this is going to be another area where I think each system is going to be a little bit different, or at least some of the systems will have variations in Dune. 
you pick a skill, the DM names a skill, and let's say that skill is battle. Everybody has the same skills, right? You just are better or worse at them. Um, and then you take your battle skill, and then you select from your list of drives, which are things that motivate your character, like truth or power or justice, things like that. You select a drive that has another score tied to it. So maybe I say, in this battle, I'm going to be using justice because we're taking down the bad guys. So I have a justice score. And I have a battle score, and I add those together, and maybe the result is 14. Now, every d20 that I roll needs to hit a 14 or lower to be considered a success, right? So doing things that you're skilled at is obviously a way to succeed, but also doing those things in a way that aligns with your character's internal motivations can also really play into success. Maybe you're not the best at battle, but you're diehard justice, right? And uh, that can that can help make up for that, right? Maybe you have an eight in justice, but a four in battle. Now it's a 12. You still got a better than average chance of getting a success just because your heart's in the right place. That does make it for a more noodly thing, right? Because every roll, it, it's not just a stealth check, but imagine if every roll it, uh, in D&D that called for stealth, you as the player chose which ability you were going to tie to that stealth check, right? I'm going to roll a stealth check, but I'm going to roll it with intelligence this time because X. Every single time. I'm going to roll it with constitution for some weird reason. And I'm going to take the time as a player to explain to the DM why it makes sense for me to have constitution <laughs> with my stealth check. That's an every. That's going to be an every single roll thing and do. And just purely mechanically, as the person running the game, how do you, how do you keep someone from just being like... I'm all justice all the time because I've got a 10 in it. Yeah. Like, well, that's, I mean, okay, are you so supposed to, or are you supposed to just be like, yeah, whatever. I think there's a little bit of, yeah, whatever, because the players determine what their biggest drives are, right? Like, and if your biggest drive is justice, you should be rolling justice a lot of the time that if you're, if you have to roll duty, right? Maybe duty's another drive, right? Uh, so if you have to roll duty, that's going to be, that's a disappointment for you in some ways, right? And there's probably, that's probably could be DM guided, right? Like, hey, I think this is more of a duty role for everybody because you're being commanded by a superior officer to do something than what you really wanted to do right now. Or it could be you as a player saying, my heart's not in this, right? But yes, absolutely. I think most of the time you're going to be rolling, you know, out of the, uh, I think it's five, five drives, you're going to probably be rolling one or two. 90% of the time. Okay. I think it's yeah, a confusing it's... system without actually reading a book and trying to play. <laughs> and of course, I think that's true with any system, right? Like I could sit yeah. down and try to explain to you guys X system and everybody would be like, you know what? Let me sit down and play and see it in action. So I think that's how it has to be. Yes, absolutely. Anytime you play something, you it things click when you actually start rolling dice, right? Um, right. I will right. say we did our session zero uh, oh, a couple weeks ago for Dune. And then actually last night we sat down and played the first session one with the, some of the players. And as soon as I started rolling dice, I'm like, wow, this feels way more like Vampire than I thought it was going to. Like, really? Things started to click and I'm like, that feels like Vampire. That feels like Vampire. Okay, I understand what we're going for here. Now, it's different. It's not like you're rolling different dice, you're referencing different things on your character sheet, but the end result is that the play feel is very vampiring. 
Uh, Nolan, you mentioned vampire. You're like, I don't want to, please, let's avoid rolling combat. Let's avoid rolling dice a lot of times, right? And Dune is the same, it felt the same way, like, ah, oh, it's all about narrative, and it's all about, like, you know, the interworkings of a of a complex story and how the players fit into that and then deploying things from their character sheet in a non-noodly way is the best part of the game. Well, and I think we found with Vampire, too, there'd be a lot of times where it'd be like, you know, okay, you know, make a wits plus this roll, and then Patrick would be like, well, what's your wits at? And I'm like, oh, I have a four, and I'm like, yeah, you don't need to roll. This is mediocre. Yeah. And we, and we would do that kind of stuff to pace up, and it's like, yeah, you probably can't fail this, or for the sake of the thing, yeah, you get around the corner real quick. Like, not a big deal. Let's not bog it down. Well, let me add another aspect to your confusion, Patrick. Um, there is a system <laughs> called uh, traits in the game, which are basically, a trait can be anything. It can be be like literally every single adjective out there and half of all nouns can be a trait it's things that come up in the moment players have to spend momentum to get that but the dm can also just ascribe a trait to you right so as an example if you're ray flying around in the millennium falcon and you do it amazing for the first time out the gate maybe you have ace pilot and your dm's like you you get the ace pilot trait because you know what you're doing right and you've proven that in this in, in this encounter right so now you write the word ace pilot down as a trait and you can use that trait to mm -hmm. influence later things right oh i'm an ace pilot so i'm going to argue that the difficulty on this this aerial combat thing should be reduced because i'm good at this sort of thing so imagine a whole host of traits on your character sheet that influence roles but also that's the noodly bit but it's really great and why it feels like vampire with their like uh relationship web and things like that right is that those traits become a a record of your stories sure, in a way that D and sure. D does not have. Right? You don't have like very much so. Not that at this point, um, where your character sheet tells the story of your adventures. This is going to like already. Last night we were adding things to character sheets. You know, um, one of them has an obligation, uh, uh, an expectation from House Harkonnen, and that. Like, oh, no, that trade is going to screw us over. Like, that became a big deal, right? Um, so I, that's the parts that felt like vampire to me was... And it's interesting that you say that it felt like vampire, Zach, because having played vampire since its iteration is, you know, 1993, mm. I can think back to where we were playing games. And, you know, vampire, I love the fact that when White Wolf first created the World of Darkness, there was that opening line of, if the rules don't work for you, don't use them. You know, you don't need to be beholden to this book. I would do things as a storyteller where somebody would pull off something that I thought was really, really good, like Ray flying the Millennium Falcon and be like, OK, you have that in firearms. That's really good. You're now also proficient in this. Mm -hmm. So like maybe you have firearms, you know how to use firearms, but you're goddamn you're John Wick with a pistol, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Or they would do something. And I'm like, you know what? That was really good. I know you don't have a dot in computers, but you do now. And so I would assign traits like that as, as a storyteller years and years ago. And, and I think even even as we were playing, as I was introducing Zach and Nolan to the game, there were times where that would come up. And I'd be like, oh, you know what? That was really good. You can do this now. Go ahead and mm -hmm. add that to your character sheet. Mm -hmm. So that at least is something that I'm familiar with doing just on my own. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah, all well, about narrative driving the game. I'm all about letting the players like I've read some stuff about the 2D20 system where this this one person in particular, I'll just read this to you guys. And I thought it was kind of interesting because <laughs> he's pretty angry. He says, uh, 
I dislike meta currency systems in general, and I really hate meta gaming systems that put players in the steering wheel and guarantee successes. And he goes on to say that he is a storyteller. He runs the game and the players play it. And I'm kind of a little different there because I yeah. want my players to push the game and, and force me to react to some of the stuff that they're doing. I mean, we've all said it a million times where we sat down with a game with the with the idea planned out for the session and basically threw it over our shoulders as the players got going because yeah. they completely derail everything and just go in their own direction. Oh, and I'll tell you, last night, there's a perfect example. The players had bought some stuff. You start out as the GM with some threat. And I kind of saved it. And then the players had bought a couple of things and I got a bit more threat. And they were in the middle of an intrigue and they had their guy. They thought they were just cracking away at him. And they got to the, they're, they're like, all right, we got this guy where we want him. We're going to make, we're going to make this contested yada, yada roll and break him. And I'm like, awesome. That's a difficulty to yada, yada. He's going to roll some dice. You're going to roll some dice. And I'm going to use all my threat to give this guy a shit ton of dice and just he he could and the end result was even though the players had a lot of dice on their end i got really lucky they didn't and that guy did not break and so right. i see that this guy I, I hear that guy say you know I, I don't but but i felt in control i mean in 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 the in the moments that i felt like it was important or was interesting for me to have some added say i had a tool to use there right and in the moments where it was, I wanted the players to take the initiative, they had the ability to do that, right? Like that, that was cool for me, right? Like that they could say like, it's important for us that we have a success here. We're going to spin the motive, momentum, give the threat, do what we need to, to make that success happen. We're all telling a collaborative story together and the players are the heroes. I want them to have those successes when it right. means something for them, right? And, and I can totally get behind a system like that, a system that allows me, because there's definitely times where, I've seen a story unfold and the players are doing something that I desperately want them not to do. Yeah. And if I had a tool aside from just saying, no, you can't do that. If yeah. I had a tool where, where Nolan won't go. Oh, so in other words, just don't do that. Cause Nolan gets pissy with me sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, but so. here's, here's the thing though, Nolan, you tell me what you think. All right. Cause that it's good to hear that you, you feel that way. Nolan, uh, if, if, if Patrick <laughs> Sorry, said, buddy. if Patrick said, I don't want you to do that to the extent that I'm going to pick up a fistful of dice and roll them. Is that a like to I feel like there's definitely a meta nature, right? You know there was something there because Patrick's rolling a a, a truckload of dice to keep it from happening. For me, I just need to know mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you don't want to do it. It's like one of those things of like, okay, like there'll be times where this isn't working. Like, is this not working because you don't understand and I don't understand? Or is this not working because it's not going to work right. because of what's happening? Patrick, like, it's it's a, it's a story element. I'm like, okay, cool. I just need yeah. to know. Like, just so I know, because I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to fight here because I'm playing checkers and you're playing chess and you got a whole <laughs> lot more moves than me. I want to get on the same playing field because I don't, you know, so. So, but if I had I think, a tool mechanic, if I had a mechanic, Nolan, that, that you saw me suddenly scoop up a pile of D20s, you're like, oh, he doesn't want this to happen. Well, and I think that just from, from a standpoint of, I, again, it's a threat. It's a situation. We, we've, Again, the the same side of it's the big final boss battle and homeboy is fighting Strahd and he gets double criticals with a sun sword and the encounters over. Yeah. 
it it equally ruins the game and it wasn't anything other than the swinginess of dice yeah. and so having these situations of you know i think that's why in, in 5e you have legendary reactions and legendary mm -hmm. moves like it gives you the advantage to pull out to make it be like yeah this is something more than you're not supposed to be against like this is a test this is a challenge so and, and again it's one of those things too of uh it's it's also like you said you don't get any chance to argue because I had to intimidate that guy. I made the deal with the warlock patron. I got the success. I know I'm going to get my ass handed to me later. Like I bought this pain on myself because I had to do something earlier on. So again, that's another thing that I don't think you can argue. Like, you know, it's just one of those things. Sometimes you come up against a badass with better dice. I mean, yeah. it is what it is. And But that's kind of the thing in that situation though. Like you started with some threat, but they yeah. gave you more threat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I, I had kind you of brought this on yourself. I yeah. I kind of, I had thought of it as like a meta currency until you would explain this situation, something where it happened, like actually occurred. Yeah. Like that didn't feel like you were like, all right, guys, I'm going to screw you now. It felt like, look, you've used your luck up. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Right. And this yeah. guy, this guy also has his own motivation, his own desires. Yeah. yeah. And like at this point, like, He's gonna try his best. Like that yeah. makes so much more sense well, than the DM being like, "This is gonna be a DC twenty-two charisma check." Yeah, and you're like, "Well, yeah, after I don't, he I'm, asks, I'm, what's I your plus is? Yeah. Oh, I have a plus one charisma. Oh, what's well, gonna be a twenty-two? You yeah, can't it's like, win oh, like shit, I'm not <laughs> proficient in anything. I've only got uh, twelve. It's like, so uh, I mean, sometimes I've just asked. I'm like, I like, can I succeed on this saving throw? Yeah. It's a twenty-two. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not even gonna roll, buddy, because well, like. Yeah. It, it, now, on the flip side, right? Like, uh, not flip side, but like to add another layer to it. And if my players are listening, you're going to have another thing to think about now, I guess. <laughs> um, but, but like, did I pick up those dice because I there was actually nothing there, or, or there was actually something there, or because I wanted the players to believe that they were miss right. that they were had a chance of missing something, right? And so, like, a little bit of a red herring. Exactly. And this guy was a red herring, right? So if I'm going to continue to play this guy as valuable, there's a tool in my toolkit mechanically to continue that facade by rolling these dice in front of the players. Now they're like, we got to focus on it. And what ended up happening, right, um, was that they spent the rest of their time on this timed intrigue focused on this dude because he's our guy. He wasn't their guy, right? Like... <laughs> Well, and I think that's one of those things too of we we if you will allow the story to come, this guy might be something in the future. Like remember the time that you guys tried to break this guy and you yeah. royally oh. made a big yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. this nobody all of a yep. sudden hates you because you unlock something and then that they didn't know they had like see, and I, I think that's all part of the fun as well. Yeah. My question is on that there is like so say I want to break this guy and I'm gonna use this many successes. Um, is it like a counter magic like type situation where you're like, okay, well, he doesn't want to get broken, so I'm going to use these dice. Do I get to up the ante? Like I'm like, do I get a counter your counter spell type situation, or is it like yeah. I'm committing these dice, I'm going to roll, and you're like, okay, I'm going to commit these dice, and we're going to roll, and then then it's over. So you've hit upon the one thing that I think is the weak. I'm, okay, I'm going to be really soft here. The the weakness of the Dune book version of the 2d20 and i don't think i think it maybe is an intended weakness because i don't think that the system is intended to be as robust as like the 5e system right i think there's some things that you're supposed to just adapt 
the best I could gather and the best my players could gather. And so we kind of adopted it as our house rule until we figure out otherwise is that the DM always sets the difficulty. And if they have dice to roll, they roll their dice first. The DM gets all of their stuff out of the way and then the players get to do their stuff. So in this case, I set the, I said, this guy's going to roll six dice. Chicka, chicka, chicka. He got four successes. There you go. That's your difficulty now is you got to beat a four, right? Whether that's okay. the right way to do it or not, I don't really know, but I couldn't find anything in the rule book that said otherwise. So we're going to, we're going to roll with it. Well, and I think from a DM standpoint, you have to almost kind of do that. Cause it's like one of those things of if I commit my dice and I put, you know, it's like when you're saying, I'm going to cast fireball and you're like, okay, what level are you going to cast it at? And I'm going to say third level. And like, all right, I cast a fourth level counterspell. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. How would you know? You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. it's one of those things of, or saying, okay, well, I'm going to cast counterspell. Oh yeah. Well I did it at seventh level. So, uh, you know, yeah. it's like you get to change the narrative a little bit to make your thing succeed. So you can't really win in that type of situation unless you're just like, like you said, this is the house rule. This is how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to adopt. And and again, from a narrative standpoint, you look at him, he grits his teeth. He's got this like bring it bitch type thing. I pick up four dice. Here we go. Do, how bad do you want to break him? How bad do you want to commit to this situation? Yeah. So I, th I think you can get away with that pretty easily. Yeah. I, I actually, I do remember in the dishonored rules, it straight up said that everyone, like in that situation, at least when like two players were going, they should pick up as many dice in their fists and then reveal them to each other. Mm. like that. rock paper scissors like rock yeah. paper scissors but also but like i would hate to have to do that i would yeah. much rather have you know the person who's setting the difficulty be like all right he rolled he's got five successes yeah i think like the the, the closest it comes is they talk about in a skirmish which is a t specific type of conflict um they say something to the extent of the defender always rolls their dice first but who's okay, the defender yeah. in a in a social engagement? Who's the defender? Who's the attacker? It's not always as clear. I like. I'm always going to default to my players feeling like they understand what's going on. Right. I don't want to ever make the players feel like they're getting screwed over. Somebody's going to get screwed over with the role. I'll do it because I have tools on the back end to make up for it. Right. So I, it worked out really well last night, and it kept things simple. Right. We never had to have this back and forth about like, okay, so you know, this is you're the defender this time. So you get to roll. No, we just, I'm rolling and then you guys can figure it out. Well, like you said, a lot of times it's going to be like, you know, if they're breaking him, you're obviously, you're the aggressive one in the situation. So it helps out um, when the law enforcement shows up to slap you on the wrist or whatever you might be on the defensive. And so that's, that's interesting. You can kind of set that per counter because that gives you a chance to ambush somebody, you know, you're at the cocktail party or whatever. And so-and-so is insulting you and you didn't see it coming. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I will say a comment that you made earlier. Um, I use my constitution to hold my breath to add to my stealth check and I can do it for two minutes because yeah. I'm really good and you can't even hear me. <laughs> I, I even slow down my that, heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's pretty that's, dope. I think there's ways to do it. And it's and I know like so having played uh Vampire the Masquerade live action, where you do have like verbs and nouns and things like that to describe your character's traits. I, I think it's interesting when you do say stuff like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to use my constitution to hold my breath. Right. And in live action, you had to use your traits in a descriptive way. So like, I'm going to punch you dexterously. So now I can use my dexterity to add to my, my score, mm. you know, things like that. So it's not uncommon. And, and, and I think it's interesting if you can get creative, it adds to the story a little bit and, and makes you feel like, okay, yeah, I did this thing that was stealthy, but, I held my breath for three minutes 
to be able to pull this <laughs> off, you know, kind yeah. of thing. I was so lightheaded. I could barely see, but I still did it. So I think it's interesting. I think it's cool. We are coming to, you know, about the, well, we're, we're over time and that's okay. So I, I do want to ask you both, both, both Zach's, do you recommend the system? I I'll, I'll go first. Cause I don't, I don't know enough to, to recommend it, but I'm going to say that until Modifius goes out of business, I think we're going to see this system mm -hmm. because why the hell not? Like what's the next, like there isn't an elder scrolls RPG out there, but seeing as how there's a fallout and a dishonored one, we got one down the pipe. Like there's no way they're not working on that. Like, yeah, I don't know what's next for elder scrolls. So the doom RPG, like, I can't wait where it's like, yeah, okay, you're all going to play demons and you can't win. I'm bringing the Doom Slayer at you. <laughs> like, like, yeah, until Modifius goes out of business, like, I don't think they're going to do any more vamp. I think they'll run out of vampire stuff. Like, because they don't really own the system. They don't really own the world as much. These are all things that they can buy and pump out. Yeah, like I that's true. So, but would you would you suggest that people play this? Do you like the Dune RPG so far? I do like the Dune RPG, and I think there's enough there for me to, at this point, say give it a go. I can also completely accept someone who says, you know what, Dune, I can make it work in Five E. I'm just gonna reskin Five E to make that happen, and that's gonna let us keep the rules at as much of an arm's length as we want, keep the meta as much as arm's length as we want, and we can play the game that we want to play. And I'm not going to begrudge anybody that. I don't think this is a, I'm going to be a diehard 2D20 apologist, but I do think that like, there's in, there's always interesting things to learning a new system. You always, you know, say that's clever. That's an interesting way of resolving this sort of thing. And I do think at least with Dune, like you can't get the level of intrigue and espionage in out of 5e that you can with this sort of a system so i would recommend giving it a go and at least see what you think i was gonna say the the combination of skills i think is one of the best things for, for vampire and it sounds like this carries over as well because it does allow you to get creative of you know how do you pick the lock well it's completely different for everybody you know how do you pick that thing well i'm going to use strength and my expertise in the situation so i know where the leverage is to pop the hinge as a completely different style of you know versus just one size fits all and uh, so i like you said the descriptive words help a lot um and again it's just flavor i mean there's more than one way to skin a cat so let's let's explore that versus just saying cool the lock's open yeah. Cool. The lock's open. Cool. Yeah. So it's it, the potential is there for the story stuff. And again, I, I think that's been a big thing that you take away every time you play a new system, every time you pick up a new game, they're going to do something really cool that you're going to steal and use later and uh, make your other games better as well. So definitely don't don't be apprehensive to new systems, especially when they're putting out some cool uh, worlds for it as well. Yeah. And so the 2D20 system is mostly available. I don't know of any other system or company that's using it through Modifius. Again, you can find it in games like Dune, Fallout, Mutant Chronicles, um, Dishonored, Homeland, Octon Cthulhu. I mean, the list yeah. just goes on and on and on. And of course, Star Trek Adventures. So if you're interested in that system, head over to Modifius's website. Take a look. They've got some pretty cool titles, and, and some of the books look really good. I personally own a few Modifius books that I'm very happy with, so 
I would say they're definitely worth taking a look at. Mr. Goins, thank you so much for joining us on our show today. I would like to give a minute to, to get, have you tell people where they can find Bite Size Gaming and all the stuff that you're a part of with Drifters Atlas and so on. Well, first off, thanks again for having me. Uh, I always have a great time coming and chatting. You can find me uh, on and, and, and the whole Bite Size Gaming crew and Drifters Atlas crew on Facebook. Um, that's probably the easiest, most at-home at place for us. We also have a Twitch channel at the Drifters Atlas and a podcast at the Bite Size Gaming Podcast. Um, you can find us on Kickstarter if you search for uh, Bite Size Gaming and the Drifters Atlas in the creators. You can see all the projects that we've got going on. Um, we've got a few in the pipeline right now, but nothing uh, nothing currently live or shortly live. So uh, this is a great time to get caught up, I guess. <laughs> Was uh, what's your most recent one? Most recent one would be Evershift, which is a five E adventure in the okay. Feywild. Yeah, I don't know that I knew that one. I know you guys were a part of Den of Assassins. Oh yes, and Den of Assassins would also. Yeah, that's the newest bite sized one. Yeah, yeah, right, that right, one was right. a lot of fun. That uh, we made that in in conjunction with Andrew Vashinsky. Uh, mm -hmm. Yep, was, yep, yep. Because I know that is one that we backed, and we're waiting for it to arrive. Yes, yes. We're all, it's in layout right now. So everything's done on it. It's just got, uh, we're putting the pieces together, right? So. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, folks, that is going to be our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. It's always a pleasure to have Zach on and chat with him. And and it's it's just fun. I, I highly recommend the Bite Size Gaming Podcast. They do a great job. When I can, I mm -hmm. pop in and, and watch their live show. They do a great job. So highly, highly recommend you check them out. Nolan, Zach, anything else before we wrap up for today? Not for me. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Yeah, yeah thank for you. sure. It's always good. Appreciate it. Well, that is it for this week, folks. Like I said, we have reached out to uh, Magpie Games, so maybe we'll hear something about that. I do want to mention, I just popped over to Kickstarter to see what Avatar is at. Last week, they were at 5.7 million. They are at 6.8 million, or well, just under 6.8 million now. This thing is huge. They have 11 days to go. I'm really curious if they're going to break seven. Yeah. I, I bet they do. I mean, they're you know. at what 219 million 219,000 away from breaking it yeah it considering that the highest rpg book before them was colville's book at like 2.1 million this right is nuts, right this yeah. is nuts yeah and i and, and i'm sitting here just watching it go up it's yeah. just crazy. So remember to check out the Avatar Legends, the role-playing game uh, on Kickstarter now. Check out all the stuff that Drifters Atlas and Bite Size Gaming is doing on Kickstarter or have coming up. They are absolutely, I have a few of their products there worth buying. So make sure you do that. That's it for this week's folks. Thanks for listening. Bye.